Greetings in Jesus' name. Thank you for that song. It's a blessing to have heard what we have had so far and a distinct focus on the resurrection and children's lesson. I have a title. I'm going to give the title this morning. Um, It's not a message about the resurrection per se. The title is God's Judgment of Mennonites. Maybe that brings up another issue. Are you a Mennonite? Um, I was thinking maybe I could go a whole, whole, uh, pre, pre-message discussion on identity. <laughs> That's not the message, but, um, it's pretty, I uh, think about the word, the, the, the word that comes to my mind right now, it's pretty cool <laughs> right now to not actually have an identity. People just, uh, somebody actually read, read a, a parable in the last year or two about Let's imagine the restaurants would do what churches are doing. You go to a restaurant, and you want to know, is it an American restaurant? Is it a Chinese restaurant? Is it a Mexican restaurant? Is it a Italian restaurant? And they won't tell you. They won't tell you. And you have to come in, and you have to finally get the food until you find out what kind of restaurant they are. Because you're just using that. That's what churches are doing. They're just... They're taking their names off of their, and, and in our history, that's what we have done. <laughs> and so Anabaptist gets a pretty broad umbrella that catches us. Um, and, and I, in the past, especially, I think probably there was too much nationalism in your denomination. I think there was too much of that. I don't think that's great, but, if we're actually pulling away from identity because either we are ashamed of the identity or else maybe we got enamored by another identity somewhere else and we're pulling away, then there's there's some negative things about that. It was interesting to note that the early church, the original church was primarily Jewish people, and then the Gentiles came in several decades later, for the most part. And in the end, they were neither Jewish nor Gentile. There was a new identity formed. (laughs) The Christian church formed their new identity. But the reason I have the title this morning is to jog us a little bit, because sometimes we think we are a little elite. Sometimes we think, we we have a number of things in line that maybe the rest of the greater church doesn't. But that actually does not actually eliminate exactly God's handle because God is not a respecter of persons. So you can turn to our our normal text it's in First Peter. And we were just done with chapter 1, verse 16. We had a few verses there. And like I had mentioned, at verse 14 was the first directive that was given to us by Peter. And it's fairly simple. Five directives. You know, gird up the loins of your mind. Be sober. Hope to the end, be holy, and don't slip back. So basically five directives that I see there. Five directives. So there's a lot of positives there. Gird up, be sober, hope to the end, be holy, and then the negative, don't slip back. You know, there was a story, I think it was Jerry Mahor that actually gave this story about gave the story about this little boy who would continue to always fall out of bed. He'd go to sleep at nighttime and he'd fall out of bed. Just next night he'd fall out of bed. 
And the idea was, well, why are you just falling out of bed? And he actually came with his own answer. Well, maybe I'm sleeping too close to the edge. If you are finding yourself falling back to your old life, maybe more than you'd like, maybe it's happening regular, maybe you are sleeping too close to the edge Maybe it'd be good to check where you're sleeping, where we're sleeping. Maybe it's time to establish some clear lines and erect some clear boundaries and center 100% in on the life of the Lord Jesus. In the past, we had bonfires. You still remember those bonfires? Some of you older folks, we had bonfires. You know what those bonfires went, what went into those bonfires? Worldly music and worldly games and worldly clothing, worldly books, whatever, ungodly, let's say it that way, <laughs> went into those bonfires. We actually smashed a few TVs along the way back in those days. And we confess the sins of pride and idolatry and sexual sins. We quit following the sports and the racist and the metropolitan woman. We were tired of our old life. We really wanted revival. There's a story. I have a cousin who actually was living a carnal life and he actually wanted to change. And he was at least alert enough to realize that to, if you're going to quit doing some things, you have to replace it with something. Okay, that makes sense, right? You can't just quit doing stuff. What are you going to do? You're going to replace it with something. So he, he decided he's going to replace it, and he went into the, into, uh, with a group into the prison, in a prison ministry. Uh, what, fortunately, what he found out there that he actually wasn't a Christian, and he became born again in, in prison. <laughs> but uh, the point was, of the last message, just a revival, uh, just a re uh, rehearsal a little bit, is, is, let your former life should be completely part of your former life. And if you find yourself falling back, then neatly take steps to, um, to, to that it doesn't continue to happen. Now we are at verse 17. And this one actually continues in the directive mode after verse 16. Verse 17 says, And if you call on the Father, who without respect of persons judges according to every man's work. Pass your time of sojourning here in fear. Now, that is a really interesting word, uh, verse, and we want to unpack it. We all actually won't get further than this verse. Our works are going to be judged. We are to be in fear. I mean, everything seems upside down. Well, not everything. Let's start with the first part. It starts with a qualifier. The qualifier for this verse, if this verse applies to you, it's if you call on the Father. That means that you are a child of God. He is your Father. <clears throat> all who have a heavenly Father, all who call on the Father, should fear. Don't you know that the Father on, on whom you call on is also the Father on whom will judge you? And the question is, do you call on the Father? And yes, I call on the Father. Our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. You know, give us this day, Father, our daily, our daily bread. Forgive us our debts. When we need wisdom, where do we go to? We go to our Father, who gives liberally and doesn't upbraid us. 
He's, he's generous. I need the Father. I need him for direction. I need him for strength. I need him for equilibrium. <laughs> to make sense out of this world. I need, I call on God. And uh, there's this little poem that you probably know, overheard in an orchard. How many know that poem, overheard in the orchard? Okay, I think that went around to school, at least the homeschooling. Said the robin to the sparrow, I should really like to know why those anxious human beings rush about and worry so. Said the sparrow to the robin, friend, I think it must be that they have no heavenly father such as cares for you and me. So we are blessed to have a heavenly father. We have a heavenly father. If you call on the father, then this verse is for you. And and the next phrase could be in parentheses. If you look at it, if you call on the father, I'm going to skip the middle part. If you call on the father, Pass the time of your sojourning here in fear. Now, that would be sufficient, and it would be a clear directive. You're, you call on the Father. Uh, sojourning, of course, talks about pilgrimage. It talks while we're here. Uh, live in fear. But Peter understands the human heart, because we have a five-year-old in our home right now, and just about every thing we tell him, he says, why? It doesn't really matter. Time for bed. Why? Um, we're going to the neighbors. Why? Uh, on Saturday, we were, you know, yeah, Friday, we were hiking. We were getting ready for the youth. And we're pre- preparing a hike, and we hadn't gone on this hike before, so we went up this hill for quite a while. And he said he's getting tired, and we told him uh, on the way back it's going to be easier. Why? Uh, because of gravity. Why? So, so it's why. So we are children too, right? And we have a father, and so. If you call on the Father, pass your time of sojourning here in fear, but it's as Peter were anticipating the why, so he tells us why. Why should we pass this time of our sojourning here in fear? And he says, who, the Father, without respect of persons, judges according to every man's work. That is actually why. So why should we have some fear? Because there's going to be a judgment of all of our works, our deeds. The one on whom we call upon for help is also the one that, we, that will judge us, and he's the ultimate judge. And it will be a righteous judgment. Um, whatever you think you're doing now, uh, it doesn't really matter. His judgment is going to be correct. It's without partiality. It's absolutely just. It's completely fair. And it's according to his law and his standards. That's why God is going to judge Mennonites. Because he's going to judge us exactly the way he judges the Baptists and the Presbyterians and whoever else you want to put in there. It's going to be zero difference. So as believers, our works will be judged. Uh, in Romans 14, we don't, don't turn there, but Paul is actually instructing believers not to judge each other in certain things. Actually, we need to be very, very careful how we judge each other. He actually gives this reason why we shouldn't. And I'll read Romans 14.10. For we shall all, and he could say personally, Stand before the judgment seat of Christ. And in verse 12, So every one of us shall give an account 
of himself to God. So he's, I use these verses to just demonstrate what Peter is saying, that we are all going to stand before God and give an account. He is going to actually judge us. In uh, 2 Corinthians 5.10 is another verse that says the same thing. For we must all appear, all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that everyone may receive the things done in his body, according to that he hath done, whether it be good or bad. Every one of us is going to stand before the judgment seat of Christ. Now, I'm going to, in, a, in some sense, repeat what Jerry said this morning because I want to be really, really clear. We are not going to be saved by our works. <laughs> we're, we're not going to stand before God and our good works and our merits are actually going to earn us a place in heaven. <clears throat> the Lord Jesus came and he died so our sins could be forgiven. We come to the Lord Jesus like the prodigal son came home to the father. I thought, um, Jerry did a very good ex- uh, uh, illust- uh, biblical illustration. He gave us the verses of what, what Christ did. Uh, the illustration that we can use is the prodigal son went to the far country and came back with nothing. And he, his father could have done anything he wanted with him. At that point, the father would have full, I mean, he could have just you kicked him out of the house. We come to the Lord Jesus, and this is an illustration of how God receives us. When he came back, he threw a party. When that shepherd looked for his lost sheep in the mountain, there's 99 he didn't need, the one was lost. When he found that sheep, he came back and he called his neighbors. And he said, rejoice with me. And he said, the angels rejoice when one sinner repents. So we won't stand before God with our good deeds and our bad deeds, and God would judge whether we'll go to heaven because of what we've done and what we've not done. That is not going to happen. I can say the words of Paul, God forbid. If you come to God, if you have come to God in repentance and faith, he has received you. And he's accepted you in his family. That's why you can call him your father. And then he gave you his grace and his spirit and his love. And he's given you a promise of a future in heaven. Now there's one qualification I want to put in there. <laughs> I'm trying to think how, how broad to make this. But we don't. I thought this is a, a good time to give this qualification, that is we don't believe in unconditional eternal security. Unconditional. You see, in the dispute between the early Anabaptists and the Reformers, the Anabaptists rejected the concept that salvation is primarily, primarily a legal transaction in heaven. And I'm going to explain that. And, and this, this, this kind of thinking has flowed through the many streams of church thought in the centuries following. But the legal transaction goes something like this. We need righteousness to be accepted to God, but we don't have it. What we have is sin. God has what we don't, what we need, but don't deserve, which is righteousness. We have what God hates and rejects, which is sin. So what is God's answer to that situation? Well, his answer is the Lord Jesus Christ, like we heard this morning, who died in our place and bore our condemnation. 
By sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin, he, God, condemned sin in the flesh. Here, herein is the great exchange, and it's also in Second Corinthians, for he hath made him to be sin for us, he who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. So God puts our sins on Christ, and he takes the punishment of that sin, and Christ... In Christ's obedient death, God fulfills and vindicates his righteousness and imputes or credits that righteousness of Christ onto us. Our sin is on Christ, his righteousness is on us. That is considered, well let's say it this way, if Christ died for my sins on the cross and if I believe he paid for my sins, my sins are put on him and his righteousness is put on me, and that is called justification. And the illustration that is given many times is an illustration of a bank account. The bank account is my, I have a bank account, but I actually wish I wouldn't. Because it is in the red by many, many millions of dollars. More than I can ever pay off. And here's Christ, and he has a bank account, and his is, overflowing with unlimitless. And he comes, he takes my debt, and he puts into my account his righteousness. And now, my debt is gone, every last bit of it, and in its place is a huge plus, surplus. I didn't work for it. I didn't deserve it. He did it because he saw my need, and I came to him, and he did it. That is justification. That is righteousness by faith. And it is now just as if I had never sinned. And, of course, we have these verses first uh, in Colossians 1, 21 to 23. And you that were sometimes alienated and enemies in your mind by wicked works yet now hath he reconciled through the body of his flesh through death to present you holy unblameable and unreprovable in his sight if ye continue in the faith grounded and settled and be not moved away from the hope of the gospel and of course there is that conditional part in there too as well but the justification is there there is no condemnation in that person that has that bank account, all the sins taken away, and there's a surplus of righteousness. Now, those who insist on eternal security will say that is a permanent standing in heaven. If you believe even once in your life, God moves you from an enemy to a child, and you become holy from thereforth. You're unblameable, you're unreprovable in God's sight from thenceforth. The Anabaptists insisted, among some others, that those who are saved and have reconciled will follow the law of Christ that has been put into their hearts because their hearts have been renewed, and those who are renewed heart will follow that law. They will do works of faith. Works of faith. The Spirit of God is active and he has liberty into their hearts. The deeds of the flesh are kept in check by the Spirit of God. There's a commitment to following the Lord Jesus Christ even in persecution and death. Like John D. Martin said some time ago so appropriately, we have an account in heaven filled with righteousness, but it's not a savings account waiting for us that when we get to heaven we have this account. It is a checking account. It is meant to be used. You have now the righteousness of Christ. That righteousness is actually to be used in your life. And if it's not coming out in your life, then the question is, do you actually have an account in heaven?
He who endures to the end will be saved. If you continue in my word, you are my disciples indeed. So the point is, conditional eternal security is the truth. We are secure. We have a father. We do not need to fear eternal damnation. You, as a child of God, do not need to fear to stand before God that you might go to hell. If you are trusting in the Lord, if you are walking in the Spirit, if you are walking in a in line with the Word of God as you understand it, you are secure. That's what the early Anabaptists did at tremendous cost. It's what multitudes of true Christians have done through the ages. And it's what we need to do today. We need to follow the Lord Jesus Christ faithfully and tenaciously. You need to endure to the end to be saved. So we will not face that great white throne judgment in which all the nations are going to stand before God and hear their doom. We're not going to be there. But we will face an in-house judgment. The best description of that is in 1 Corinthians. You can turn there. 1 Corinthians 3. Verses 10 to 15. Breaking in here, but Paul is talking about ministry and about different people in ministry. He says, according to the grace of God, which is given unto me as a wise master builder, I have laid the foundation and another buildeth thereon. But let every man take heed how he buildeth thereupon. For other foundation can no man lay than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Now, I want to just stop there. That foundation, that Jesus Christ, if anyone is not on that foundation, then nothing applies to him. If this foundation needs to be our, your foundation, if, if it's not your foundation, then you're on sand. You're on something that's going to fall apart. Now, if any man build upon this foundation... Christ, gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, stubble, every man's work shall be manifest, for the day shall declare it, because it shall be revealed by fire, and the fire shall try or test every man's work of what sort it is. If any man's work abide which he hath built thereupon, he shall receive a reward. And if any man's work shall be burned, he shall suffer loss. But he himself shall be saved, yet so as by fire. This is the judgment of believers. And it's the believers' works that are being judged. Someday we will stand before God. And he will judge everything we have done what's being tested here is the nature of the works themselves you have different it's just a metaphor gold silver precious stone wood hay stubble there's not going to be wood hay and stubble and precious stone it's just a metaphor to describe different um Are, are that our works have different qualities. Not all the works we do, not all the good works we do, are of the same quality. Well, how will we know what quality our work is? Well, one way we can find out, it says there, the day will declare it. That day is that future day of judgment. So at that day, we will explicitly know exactly what quality our work was. Well, wouldn't you want to know, want to know now? (laughs) 
That's why we actually need a proper fear of God. Because if you don't have a proper fear of God, you'll just do your works and it maybe doesn't matter. But a proper fear of God will create some more carefulness. I think that's why that's in there. We'll have more on that later. So these different materials are different qualities of how we lived our Christian life. We are building on this this precious foundation of Christ, and we are building on it every day. All of our life is a ministry. If you are single, your singleness is a ministry. If you are married, your marriage is a ministry. That's why we should occasionally have a date night, right? (laughs) If you have children, your children are a ministry. If you have siblings, your siblings are a ministry. If you have parents, your parents are a ministry. And then if you have a ministry, your ministry is a ministry. Your work, uh, your relationships, all of our life, all the things we do are ministry. All of it is going to be works and all of it is going to be judged. Because the day will declare it. I remember uh, I volunteered one time. They had tent meetings in Canada. And they had a tent down here that they took up to Canada, set it up there. And I volunteered to bring the tent home. So this is a tractor trailer truck. And you bring it home and you come across the Canadian border. And I came to the border and they asked me what I have on the truck. And I said, I got this tent. Well, I said, the, where were the papers of the declaration papers? And I, dec- I, I'm not, no, no, I know nothing. Didn't they declare it before they went in? The whole point is, if you take something into Canada that you're not going to sell, you need to declare it. So that you can take it out so they didn't know that you're not actually taking product out of Canada, maybe tax free or whatever reason they just keep track of this stuff. And it hadn't been declared. And I was supposed to declare it. But anyhow, uh, he left us go. And we came home. But the day will declare it. It will be declared. At that day, we will see what our motives were for the things that we have done here. Not just what we did, but why we did it, how we did it, whether it was spirit-motivated or flesh-motivated, whether it was God's wisdom or whether it was man's wisdom, The verse says, whatever ye do, we are told to do it as unto the Lord. Everything you do, you're to do it as if you were doing it for God. That's the gold standard. I say it that way. You want to look at gold. That is the gold standard. So when you're doing ministry, you're doing it for God as unto the Lord. Um. Just to give uh, your children an illustration. So uh, so it's your turn to wash the dishes. If you have a dishwasher. Your turn to wash the dishes. You're doing it as if God told you to do it. And you're doing it as if this is God's dishes. I mean, it's just an illustration. But uh, those motives. If you're, you do righteous works before God... With a pure motive, that work will stay. But your work will be tested to find out whether it will stay or not. If your work is tested, I mean the work will be tested. If the work that is tested is found to be good, it will remain and you will receive a reward. I don't know about these Emmys and these Grammys and these Nobel Nobel Peace Prizes and there's there's awards given all over this world. Uh, 
And there's uh, pretty prestigious rewards that are given. Awards. Rewards, whatever. But they're nothing in comparison to this reward that we will receive. And what are those rewards? Well, I'm not sure. Maybe you know. Maybe you have thought more deeply than I have. But let's imagine this way. You have a favorite aunt, and you're going to get a birthday present. You don't know what it's going to be, but she always is. How she gets that thing together is always a tremendous blessing. She's always, that's why she's your favorite aunt. She just has a way of knowing what you want and a way of making you feel good. And so you don't know what it's going to be, but it's, my birthday's coming. It's going to be good. I think we can look at the reward this way. I don't know what it's going to be, but it's going to be good because God is good. It's going to be much better than a birthday present. We like to think we do everything for God, even if we wouldn't get a reward. But I wonder if God knows our nature. You know, sometimes when we're struggling with something, we actually seek out accountability from somebody. Now, all that accountability does, well, it does a number of things, but one of the things it does is it gives you an extra nudge to do the right thing and say no to the wrong thing when you're in that temptation. And maybe that's what God was had in mind here. You're going to get rewards, and so, so uh, you're not living. You're not doing your things for reward. You, he has, has blessed you so much. You, your heart is full of worship. But there are times when your heart is not full of worship. There are some times when you're going through struggle. And there's some times when you face temptations. And to realize, if I do this, for this reason, I might as well not do it. <laughs> and so maybe it's just the extra strength and push that we need during that decision or mo- moment of weakness. And, and, and another reason is knowing, my baby, this is a selfish reason, knowing that someday... Not just I, but maybe everybody's going to know what my true motives were. Maybe that's a selfish reason <laughs> to do the right thing. <clears throat> but our rewards won't give us, when we receive our rewards, it, it, won't, it won't puff us up. It won't give us a sense of pride. It won't blow up our ego. We won't be comparing ourselves with other people. I don't think so. It is true that some people are going to get bigger rewards than others, and some people are going to get hugely bigger rewards than other people. It's it's going to be, I think it's going to be extremely varied. It's my, my opinion. But I envision any reward I get will humble me. Because what did I do? It was the grace of God. It was his mercy that I, I'm even here. I shouldn't even be here. This awesome presence that I'm in the presence of, I shouldn't be here. And now he even rewards me for what he has done. I think it's like those uh, in, in the Revelation, they just threw their crown. The crowns are their rewards, I think. Just threw their crowns before him and they worship him. So it won't puff us up. The reward is is a blessing, but it's going to. Now, what happens if the ministry of my works was done wrong or is faulty, is found wanting? What if I'm doing wrong things or if I'm doing the right things for the wrong reasons? What if I have impure motives? Then I will lose whatever rewards that those good works could have been. It's a loss. It's a loss of rewards. It's a loss of potential. So we, basically what we're, what we're actually seeing is all of our works are going to come with us. That's sort of the picture that we have. Let's imagine, and here there's some flower growers here. Let's imagine you have a big customer and he has an order for flowers and you bring, you, you work in this greenhouse, you have these Four greenhouses, all full of flowers, and you work at them, and like Clinton 
Oberhalser said on one of those warm days this week, I think it was Friday, Saturday, whenever it was, Saturday, he spent all afternoon watering those flowers to keep them from drying up because it was a warm day and they still have most of their flowers yet not many sales, so it's a lot of work. And so you work and work and you bring these flowers to the customer and he looks at them and he goes through them and he picks them out and he rejects 90% of the flowers. Only 10% of the flowers have met his standard. That 90% of your labor is down the drain because he had a standard. That's actually what it is when we come to the Lord with our works and and he's going to judge righteously, whether it's gold, silver, precious stone. It's going to go through the fire. Whatever doesn't pass that fire of judgment is going to be lost. So all your works are going to come with you, but you're going to have a loss. Those works that were done with the wrong motives, with the wrong reasons, and so on. So even though you gain, there's a huge potential that is lost. And, and God is, couldn't be more clear. In Matthew 6, what does he say? Don't do your good deeds before men to be seen, because that is going to be your reward. You will not get any reward in heaven. But if you do it in secret, that's the idea of doing your your uh, things for the Lord with the right motives, whether it's giving alms, whether it's praying. Uh, what's the third one? Fasting. That's right. <laughs> praying, fasting, and and giving, uh, doing alms. He's basically saying, um, if you do it with the right motive, you are going to get rewarded. But if you don't, that work is going to come and you won't get Zilt. Actually, that's what First Corinthians says there, the, the love chapter. He said you can do all these good things. You can have, you can preach well. You can know these mysteries. You can give your things away. You can even suffer martyrdom. But if it was not done for the right reason, it's zilts, nothing. That is the judgment of our works. If a man's work shall be burned, he shall suffer lost. Now, is there at the end it says about um, I'm not at First Corinthians right now. Talks about he shall be saved even so as by fire. You know, the person who's been born again, and God is your father. And you've been walking the Spirit, you've been trusting the Lord, but you've not been doing so well. A Christian whose works are somewhat lousy. Let's say it that way. God says he is still saved, even so as by fire. Now, I'm not sure how that is, but uh, the picture I get and the illustration I, I, I read about was this, as if your house burned down and you got out with the clothing on your back, or maybe not even that. But you didn't get burned up. But absolutely everything you owned is gone. There are some people, apparently, that are going to be there somewhat in that condition. Do I understand all that? Not really. But I also think this loss extends even in this life. I think of of Lot. I don't know what Lot was doing, but he's he was a righteous man. That's what God says. But he suffered enormous loss, even in this life, by being too close to the world. He lost his wife and his children so, it would be very good for us to try to evaluate our lives now. That's the point. We don't always know our motives, but we ought to try to discern what our motives are. Am I promoting myself? Am I doing this thing to raise my status 
or so other people can see what I'm doing and think well of me? Is there some kind of self-fulfillment that I am needing that is causing me to do this? Some kind of self-esteem? Or am I doing it out of true love for God and those that I'm ministering to? And again, the ministry is to family and siblings and parents and neighbors and whoever. Ultimately, the Lord is going to test our works, our motives, and he's going to test. He will do it fairly. And I will just let that judgment to God because he's going to be the judge. But let's talk a little bit more here towards the end about fear. If you call on the Father, who without respect of persons judges according to every man's work, pass your time of your sojourning here in fear. Now, what what's this fear? I think I, I saw it in the back of my mind. I remember someone not that long ago talked about the fear of God up in this, behind this podium. I don't remember who it was. Neither did I. It might be written in my book, but... Uh, <clears throat> Are we to fear God? Some people say that the fear of God means to respect God. That's actually not what it means. Actually means you should respect God. But it's not merely respect. I think we want to clarify up front that the word fear is not completely figurative. It's not misleading. It's not overstated. People today, I'm going to put myself in there, often have such a view of God that we can't understand trembling in his presence of his holiness and his might. And we don't tremble. You look in the scripture and every time someone gets into the presence of God, they fear God. As the children of Israel, when they went out to the to the mountain, uh, Mount Sinai, after they left Egypt, God came down on that mountain, and they were afraid. They were so afraid, they said, we don't even want him to talk to us anymore. Moses, you go, but we are afraid. God said, I want you to be afraid, because I want you to know who I am, because I also want you to obey me. So, we ought to fear God. Because of who he is. But in this context, and, and, and I'm not actually going to broaden out this fear. I'm thinking I could have brought it out. It's, it's not a terror of God because God is our father. He, he loves us and he has brought us into his home. The fear, I think, that this might be the most applicable is the we're looking in this context we're looking at accountability fear involves a sense of accountability because someday i'm going to stand before god and i will give an account for how i have done everything <laughs> i think i had better let that sink down deeply into my heart I'm going to be called onto the carpet, so to speak, before God, and then all my works are going to be there, and he's going to look, sift through them and look at all of them, and he's going to judge them. There's, there's a certain amount of an apprehension. I don't know what for word to use. Well, let's, let's look at a – can turn to Philippians chapter 2. Let's look at a few verses there. As we develop this fear. Philippians 2, 12 and 13. Gives sort of the same thought. Wherefore my beloved. As ye have always obeyed. Not in my presence only. Paul saying. But now so much more in my absence. And he says. Work out your own salvation. With fear and trembling. Paul is saying you should work your salvation with fear and trembling. 
So we have a salvation. Work out your salvation so you are saved. God is your father. You have salvation. Now work it out with fear and trembling. For it is, and, and then he says, why? The why question comes up here. Why? Why should I? Well, and he says there, for it is God which worketh in you both to will and to do of his good pleasure. Now, uh, in, the, in the vernacular, it says, for God is working in you, giving you the desire and the power to do what pleases him. So we have salvation. God is inside of us and God is working in us. He's giving us the desire, and he's giving us the power to do what pleases him. That actually sounds like you're doing works that will be rewarded. Everything's in line. He gives you the desire, he gives you the power, and what you do then pleases him. Well, where does fear and trembling come in here? Well, why aren't you doing this Every minute of your life. Why are my motives not always pure? Why am I doing right things for the wrong reasons? It's because I'm not doing this. God is working in me. He's doing this. But I am actually listening to other voices. And... We are to work out our salvation, and we should do it with fear and trembling, lest we do not walk in the spirit that God is working in us, but we walk with some other kind of other thing. Maybe we have rejected God's prompting, and we allow some other influence, something else to influence us and motivate us. Maybe some earthly wisdom, maybe some fleshly desire, maybe some pride or pleasure. And so we do the work, but it's not done God's way, and it doesn't please him. <clears throat> that there is going to show up in the judgment. <laughs> if the desire that God gives you, him living in you, and he gives you that desire, and he gives you the power, and you do it, that work will stay. Any other work will not stay. That is actually the key any other motivation besides that motivation that God puts in you and causes you to do will be revealed it's going to be sniffed out it's going to be like a freon detector or some other detectors you know you can uh, thermal detect you, you can't even see it but there's the right instrument will sniff it out God will sniff out whatever is not done in his desire and in his power in a way that pleases him. It's like the field of tares. Our works are like the field of tares. It's hard to see the difference. Here's this good seed and here are the tares. And it's hard to see the difference. But in the judgment, they'll be separated. They'll be separated just like that. God will know exactly how to do it. And this isn't terror. We don't need to be terrorized by this judgment because God is not irrational. He is not unfair. He's actually going to be absolutely right. God is working in you. Now, on Wednesday night in the prayer meeting, we, had, we uh, actually talked about that word reckon. <laughs> Count it to be so. If you are a child of God... God is working in you. God is giving you good desires. God is giving you power. And you can please him. And it would be good for us to reckon. That is actually the way it is. Maybe I don't feel that way right now, but that is actually what God says. That's what it says. The Bible says God is working in you, giving you the desire and the power to do what pleases him. But do Work out that salvation with fear and trembling so that you stay on that center and do not deviate from it. That's where the fear and trembling comes in at. It's not a terror. It's a carefulness that we do not deviate from God's plan. 
there's fear that we will not actualize God's will, and then consequently we will lose our reward. The last two verses in Ecclesiastes, I'll just read it. Let's hear the conclusion of the whole matter. What's the first thing? Fear God and keep his commandments. For this is the whole duty of man. Fear God, keep his commandments. And then what did he say? For God will bring every work into judgment with every secret thing, whether it be good or whether it be evil. <laughs> Just whole message in a nutshell. Except there it could apply to unbelievers as well in that context. 20, 25 years ago, I was a busy father. My wife was a busy mother. We had lots of little children, which means you have runny noses and dirty diapers and not a lot of help in the home. There's money to be made. There's homeschooling. Uh, we were starting a new church. <laughs> uh, just lots of things going on. And in that time, it seemed like this is going to go on forever. I mean, this is life and this is how it's going to be <laughs> For the rest of my life, it, it, in the middle of it, it looks a long way. Now, looking back, it was gone so quick. It was, where did it go? <clears throat> it isn't always going to be today. Today. We're living in this life, and this is what we know, and we're living in this body. And like we heard last night, if you were there, we have a spirit and a soul. We're living in a body. It seems like it's going to go long, but it's not going to be long. There's going to be a time we're going to stand before God and say, where did that go? (laughs) Right now, though, we're here. It's not going to be long. It's going to go by quick. Our life is short. It's like a... On a cold day when you have your breath goes out, you see your breath, and then it's gone. That's how short our life is in comparison. So, in light of that, it's just, let's just look at, the orient ourselves, if we think of, of all the things we face, it's not going to be long. Orient ourselves and serve God with all of our hearts. Here's a few more verses here in the in the end here. I'm going to read that are to be an encouragement. Encouragement with our rewards and so on. First Corinthians, don't turn to these. First Corinthians fifteen fifty eight. Be ye steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, for as much as ye know that your labor is not in vain. In the Lord, <laughs> your labor will be rewarded if it's done God's way. Hebrews 10, 6, 10. For God is not unrighteousness, unrighteous to forget your work and labor of love. God will not forget the things you do for him. Colossians three twenty three and 24. And whatsoever ye do, do it heartily as to the Lord and not unto men knowing that of the Lord ye shall receive the reward of the inheritance, for ye serve the Lord Christ. And one final word here. And now, little children, abide in him, abide in him, that when he shall appear we may have confidence and not be ashamed at his coming. So that's the judgment, God's judgment of Mennonites. It's an in-house judgment that every Christian will face. I'm going to be there. You're going to be there. I don't know if we'll be watching each other. I have no idea. Maybe you can talk about that. But May the Lord give us uh, the proper kind of fear that what we do is done according to his will and purpose. If you could, let us just kneel for prayer. Yes, Father, we thank you this morning. 
that you are our Father and that we can call upon you. We are ever grateful for the undeserved and unmerited mercy and grace that we have received from you. Lord, I also pray as we look at this subject this morning, Lord, that you would help me, each one of us, to have a proper fear. That we would work out this salvation that you've given to us, this awesome, awesome, earth-shattering salvation that you have given to us. That we would work it out with trembling and fear. That we be following your promptings following your will and your purposes in your way and your pur- and your uh, according to your standards. I pray, Lord, you'd open up our eyes to understand things that we are doing that are not according to your will and purpose, that do not meet your standard, that will suffer loss. There are some things that we may not understand, may not perceive, but, Lord, we ask you to open our eyes and even speak into each other's lives as, as, is, as is fitting, that we may help and benefit each other. Lord, you know our hearts. And I pray, Lord, you would grace us with your blessing. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.